0: Shalom people, welcome back to Closening. I am Jesse Calmweiler. I just rolled out of bed. Haven't even brushed my teeth yet. That is my commitment to you people. Podcasting is absolutely essential. So here I am, ready to serve you. It's um it's a weird time. I was just chatting with my producer. It's like, do we go out? No, but we're feeling crazy. So does the insanity how we can kind of justify to ourselves that we're ready. And I had a friend invite me over this week and I was like, yes, wait, no. Like it's not just all of a sudden, you know, because I don't know 400 people that died in my immediate, I can like justify that like, okay, yeah, no, we'll do it. It's like, no, no hang is really worth it. Um, Unless you're boning me and making me dinner, I'm not at risk in it. It's not worth it. So I think we got to just chill, you know, keep on Netflixing, keep on masturbating and keep on listening to me. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about my adventures in Zoom this week. And I know we're all kind of in Zoom burnout, but I want to give it up. I want to stay positive. And there, there's been a lot of awesome things that have happened in my Zoom reality this week that just wouldn't happen in IRL. So first of all, my, my weekly meditation class, I know it doesn't seem like it, but I'm a huge meditator. Um, there was like a super famous person in my meditation class and it's always, it's so crazy on Zoom because, you know, when you see a famous person out, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm a person, they're a person, like whatever, but seeing them in their homes is, oh my God, you just get to be such a creep, you know? And she was like, of course she had like a perfect expensive candle, like illuminating her face, but um, it was just crazy to see her. And I don't want to give up her name because I do feel like we'll be friends at some point. Um, But it was just like a cool, it's a cool thing to be like, God, you know, celebs and sweats. That's really my porn for sure. Um, It was also my dad's birthday last week. Shout out to you, dad. My number one listener, my number two listener after mom. Um, But we had a great Zoom birthday for him and you could really feel the love. And it was the same, it it was like I felt the same love and connection and dysfunction and resentment that I normally do after family trips. You know, there was just no jet lag. So it was, it was kind of a nice, it was a nice little moment to have. And I also had a friend's wedding, which was fucking awesome. And I, um, you know, first of all, I got, I got to start drinking at like four you get on, you're muted, so you can openly talk shit about everyone else's speeches or what they're wearing. Um, you don't have to whisper, you know what I mean, like you normally do at weddings. And um, it was really cool to just see people getting emotional, seeing these little moments of like a couple, somebody in a couple would share and then they would get, start getting choked up and the person would like rub their lower back or rub their elbow. And you just got to see these like, in, like you, everybody was a close up. You know, which you don't normally get at weddings. Um, my ex was also there. He looked terrible, and I have such a good tan right now. So it was just, it was really a win for everyone. Um, so I think if you're thinking about like whether it be a wedding reception or an anniversary party or whatever, and you're like, oh, people are zoomed out, or I want to wait, I would, I would say do it because we just need these moments more than ever. We need these little joy bombs in our life. So have that party. Speaking of joy bombs, this week we talked to Cynthia Green. Um, I mentioned last week I was very nervous about talking to Cynthia because she's fucking super proper. She's posh. Um, you know, I wore a bra. I put on lipstick, even though it was a phone interview. I was just nervous about offending her or being, you know, whatever. She's like a capital W woman. Um, but, you know, the second I spoke with her, her voice just totally put me at ease. Mary Poppins. um, You can really feel her warmth through the phone. Um, And we really talked about, you know, at 99, she's been through so much. And what are some ways that you can really cope with stuff that's beyond your control? And how do you make the best of it? Um, So she really brought some much needed class to the show. So let's get into it. Cynthia Green. Talk to me. Um, How are things? How are you feeling?
1: Um, Well, I have not been well this week because I had a tummy upset, but I'm slowly getting better.
0: I have a bad stomach, too. I I wonder if it's a Jewish thing. (laughs) Could be. be. (laughs) We're always worrying and have stomach aches.
1: Well, what can you do?
0: Are you trapped inside?
1: Yes, we are.
0: And so I'm somebody that, you know, when I have a, a cold it's world war 3 it's i i'm very dramatic in my head and if i stub my toe it's it's a catastrophe and so how do you keep yourself you know if you're immobile and you can't go around you know we're all stuck inside and how how do you kind of talk yourself down or what do you say to yourself to stay positive
1: i say to myself this is the way it is There's nothing more to do, and I just get on with it. I listen to books. I listen to music. I listen to the radio.
0: And what do you do when you feel
1: uh, lonely? Telephone friends. And we're spending a lot of time at the moment on the telephone. I'm quite lucky. I have a lot of friends. You know, I'm nearly 99 years old. In May, I'll be 99. I have a lot of friends who ring me, who always came to see me. But, of course, at the moment, they can't come to see me. And if you're alone, it's miserable. But, you know, those are the facts. You can't do anything about it. And it's very different to anything that we've faced before, because this is an entirely new problem. People say, well, you were alive during the war, but it's a different war. During the war in England, everybody helped everybody else. We were together. We were supportive of each other. And we had one enemy, and we were quite sure that we were going to win the war. I'm not sure why we were so sure, but we were It was a very different situation, and you always thought it wouldn't be you. Now, I think, like you say, if you stab your toe, you're sure it's going to be you. So it's very frightening. But, you know, what can you do? You've just got to get on with it.
0: And get on where? (laughs)
1: I listen to a book, I have rest, Um, I listen to the radio, I listen to music. Do you think
0: being um, a Jewish woman has prepared you specifically at all for this?
1: I don't think that religion has anything to do with it.
0: What about being a woman?
1: Well, (laughs) I don't know. Um, I've always felt... Absolutely equal to any man. I've always been able to do the job as well, except um, something which requires amazing strength. I've never had this business about being a woman or being a man. I just feel I'm a person, and I do the best I can. And the jobs that I always did, I did as well as any man, probably better than some. I don't, I don't think that being Jewish or being a woman has anything to do with it. I think women are used to being home, but I never was. I went to work every day.
0: So do you think when this is all said and done, do you think this will change you in any way? Do you think you'll be a different person?
1: I probably won't be alive, darling. Hmm. Hmm. How long can I go on?
0: <laughs> you're you're a spring chicken. What are you talking about? You're in the prime of your life.
1: Uh, I wish. So what do you think?
0: About what's gonna happen? Yes. Well, I'm trying to be I'm trying to pull, you know, the the optimism from it, because I think that's the way that I can that's the way I survive. But I'm hoping that at least my generation, you know, we've been communicating through phones and computers and all of these things, which is really nice. But I'm hoping when this is all in, all over, it's just you cannot make the case that we are not all incredibly interconnected, incredibly the same. This is like the great equalizer. Anybody can get this virus. We are all human beings. We are all, and we are all incredibly strong and we are incredibly fragile. And I'm hoping we can bring that um, sensitivity into our normal lives, which I think has gone at a speed that no one can keep up with and keep their sanity. So I'm hoping this slows us down and really connects us with each other.
1: Yes, I suppose that's, that's it. We need to support each other, and we have, most of us have friends who help to support us and who we help to support, and um, we hope so far as that is concerned, we'll get through it. Yeah, and I think just
0: sitting here, I'm in my closet, you know, talking to you in my pajamas. And I feel so connected, and I feel so hopeful for humanity, and I have such a clear vision for what needs to be done, and what's right, and what really matters. And I just hope when the dust settles, I'll remember, instead of just going back into the circus of life.
1: Well, I don't think one will just be able to go back. It'll be a question of starting again, won't it? Mm
0: Okay. Okay. This is the last question, very important question, okay, Cynthia? If you were in your apartment and you could have one person with you, living, dead, famous, not famous, anyone, it could be um, the Queen of England, Abraham Lincoln, Jesus Christ himself, you could be quarantined with anyone, who would it be?
1: Well, I think I would ask for my husband to be back because he used to look after me or somebody with whom I had a great rapport. I certainly wouldn't ask for somebody out of the blue like um, Clark Gable or the Queen of England. She has her problems like we have ours. And I would have to think about how close I had been. I always was the earner, because I worked and ran my parents' business originally, and so I was in in control of my own business. I think that every woman needs somebody kind to be close to her. So far as I'm concerned, the closest person that I had one time in my life was probably my husband and my family, my my brothers.
0: And what made you fall in love with your husband? What was it about him that made you choose him?
1: Probably his kindness. You know, I think you're kind to each other. Um, We were very different people. And although we were both Jewish, we were of slightly different backgrounds. I don't know that I've been so successful as people think, you surely know in your own job that when a problem comes up, you have to work out how to deal with it. Because nobody is going to do it for you. No. Isn't that so? Isn't
0: that so? I think my, my job is just one big problem. And it's trying to solve
1: problems. It's the entire thing. I think everybody's job is one day's problem. I think we all have to plan and deal with our problems. Some of us are better able, but some of us are less able.
0: But do you know what's hard about it is is I totally agree with you that, you know, I have this energy of being I, I'm a businesswoman in my own way and solving problems and getting out there and being aggressive and standing up for myself and being this strong woman but then also trying to be in a kind relationship and accept kindness and soften. It's kind of hard to balance both.
1: Very hard. And you have to understand the other person. Um,
0: So what's your advice? How how do you do it?
1: I don't know. I just get on with it every day. I can't answer because I've never been in this sort of situation, let's hope it will all be over one day, that the curve will go down, that people will stop getting it. We have, after all, we have had this sort of thing before. We had the flu after the Great War. I wasn't alive, but thousands of people died, and it was spread because of the soldiers going home to their own places, They had the Great Plague here in England. We had the polio, which wasn't really such a plague, but it was just as frightening. I've never been in the situation, particularly in this era of the world, when computers and everything else are so able, it seems impossible that we can't find a virus, an antidote. And it seems impossible that it would take so long to work, but eventually I'm sure we will. Maybe in a hundred years' time or a few hundred years' time, something else will come I and mean, it makes you realize how little we are able, in the crunch, how unimportant we are, how little we can do. Doesn't it? I mean, in these days of such, I can't think of the word, um, when Computers when everything is makes life so easy, you would think they could do it. But in the end it always seems to depend on man's own ability.
0: Well let's hope let's hope it gets solved sooner than later. And when it does, I'd love to come have a cup of tea at your place. Well I you hope can. you'll be
1: able to. Mm. <laughs> I'd love to speak to you. Call me again, please do. I
0: will, Cynthia. Thank you so much for your time, and I'll, I'll let you get on with it.
1: And so what are you going to do now? You're going to have your lunch.
0: I'm going to have my lunch, get out, try to get outside for a little bit, and then keep, keep doing these interviews, you know, getting on with it.
1: That's all you can do, darling. <laughs> and, and if you get to the stage where you want to speak to somebody and say, I'm miserable, or what shall we do? Then we'll talk each other out of it.
0: Sounds like a plan. I love it.
1: Okay. Bye. Bye.
0: Oy ve, Cynthia. Oh, mwah. love this woman. That felt like a big hug from my boobie. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so inspired by Cynthia. And I really feel like this whole idea of just like stop feeling sorry for myself. Shut up. Read an audiobook, Call a friend. Get on with it. I really want to adopt that. Get on with it. Um, and I really, you know, Cynthia brought up, she, it's this really interesting thing where I promise this is going to be deep. She's like, I don't feel like she would identify as a feminist. Like, cause she's just like, I don't think of myself as a woman. I'm a strong person. And I feel like my age of, of feminists, you know, we're, I don't even know. We're like fourth generation at this point. So privileged. We've had so many, so many strong people fave, pave the way and I just feel like she, just this this idea that she just doesn't worry about the labels, she just is one. She doesn't worry about the Jewish and the womanness of it. She's just a fucking badass and that's in her DNA. and I I love that. She just does the work. Um, I also love this idea of uh, vulnerability. And she was talking about you know how how important it is to be strong and be a businesswoman and kick ass, but that the importance of having someone kind to come home to. And I I had this realization that like listen, I will tell anyone a pussy joke. You know what I mean? I'm here all day. I'll talk about my pussy. Um, you know, at family dinners for sure. To me, or you know, I'll ask a stranger to have a threesome. You know, I to me that is not everyone's always said oh you're so crazy you're so brave um that's actually not vulnerability real vulnerability is sitting across the table with somebody and opening your heart and letting yourself be soft and and reconciling this idea of being a strong feminist and being soft and letting someone in um it's fucking hard and so i really loved i I was so inspired by that Um, And also her just calling out fucking technology. You know, I feel like technology gives us this false sense of control of like, we can have flying cars and whatever. We are gods. We control, we program our own destiny, but we haven't figured out a fucking vaccine. And it is crazy. You know, we can, we can have sex with a robot but we have not figured out a vaccine yet. And so I think it gives us, I want to take this opportunity for myself at least to have a much needed dose of humility. You know, we can control so little and I just, I love that. Thank you, Cynthia. So now we're getting into um, our second installment of Rabbi Jesse's Corner. So this week I want to talk about something that's, you know, unfortunately and maybe fortunately coming up for all of us, and that is this idea of grief. We are all dealing with grief right now, having, you know, literal grief in our lives, having people that are dying, having strangers that are dying that we're reading about. Everyone is charged. Everything's emotional. Um, and we're also having a lot of... uh metaphorical, is that it? Metaphorical grief, you know, of this idea that these systems are dying, you know, things, this this way of life that we've had, things are not going to be the same after this. So we're mourning this old old way of thinking, like this idea that we had so much control over our lives, right? And for me, when grief comes up, it's kind of like a, um, it's like a stew. It's like this dense stew where like, I can't really pick out it's just all consuming. I guess that's not a, it's not a good metaphor. I'm just, maybe I just want stew right now, but it's just all consuming. It all gets mixed together. I think I read about a stranger dying and then I think about my friend that I lost last year or thinking about my grandparents, you know, grief is just all consuming. So I think it's really important. Or I thought, you know, if I'm going to have Jews, you know, at least funding this fucking podcast, what do they have to say about grief? You know, what's going on? And so I consulted the Torah via Google. And the the parsha that everybody talks about the Torah portion that everybody talks about when they talk about grief is the story of Aaron and his sons. And so basically Aaron was like the super high priest rabbi dude and you know, he was he was invited to go to the holiest part of the temple on the holiest day of the year, which is Yom Kippur. So this is like his Super Bowl, his Oscars, right? Like he is called up to the plate. You finally get to the, you know, you finally get to go to this place. And right before he's about to walk in, somebody, I don't know if it's God, but somebody mentions, hey, remember your dead sons that died two months ago. So basically Aaron's sons like looked into the flame or something, or they got eviscerated by... I don't know. God killed them like 2 months earlier. They they um got set on fire. So you would so you wonder like why in the in the most important moment of this man's life is somebody basically triggering him and bringing up all this trauma. Um and so the Torah says that this trauma is called up because grief makes you really stop and reflect and ground yourself in reality. So grief is like this bullshit detector. It's the shortcut to the truth, right? Because when somebody dies in our lives, like what's the first thing that happens? It's like, this bullshit doesn't matter. This bullshit doesn't matter. This is actually what's really important. And anytime anyone's died in my life, I've literally just been like, oh, love. Love is all that matters. Holy shit, this is a Hallmark card. But it's true. It's the truth. So we use grief as a touchstone to call ourselves out what are you avoiding? What's standing in your way? What are you wasting time on? Because the time is now life is so fucking important. I thought, I thought I was going to say something smarter there, but you know what? You guys know what I'm trying to say. I can't see any of your head noddings, but I know you, you know what I'm trying to say. Grief is a bullshit detector. So I ask you this week, what in your life, if you can channel the grief in your life and figure out what are you avoiding? Um, I'm not personally gonna share because I give I give enough on this fucking show. Okay. But DM me, tag me at Jesse underscore Conweiler. Find me on Instagram, tag me, I'll repost you, tweet me. Let's let's get this conversation about how we can really galvanize over grief and 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 use it, you know, use it to really cut through the bullshit in our own lives. Speaking of bullshit detectors, next week we have Dina Rosenfeld on the podcast. Okay, this woman is The daughter of Holocaust survivors. She's the wife of a doctor in New York City. She's a professor at NYU of, I think it's, um, political science, no, psychology or philosophy, something super smart. Um, okay. This is definitely like, we get super deep in this episode. So get your joint, turn on that lava lamp. We're having like a a. 3am dorm room conversation. Um, we really discuss how to make people give a shit about others and our planet and the impact of this virus, because there's like literally people at the beach right now. Um, And we also go into how Corona reveals the inhumane gross economic inequality in this country and how Corona really highlights the need for universal health care and a complete gutting of the system so we can build a new one. So this is a Bernie bros wet dream is what I'm saying. So come back next week. We'll have Dina. Thanks so much for joining me. Love you guys. Bye. Close Ending is hosted and produced by me, Jesse Kahnweiler. You can find me on Instagram at Jesse underscore Kahnweiler or email me at Jesse at Jesse Closening Close Ending is a production of Reboot Studios. The show's executive producers are David Katznelson and Noam Dromi audio engineering by Jonathan London. To learn more about Reboot, you can visit www.rebooters.net.